Great progress has been made in standardizing the regulation of physician assistants. All states and the District of Columbia have enacted statutes and regulations that define PAs, describe their scope of practice, and discuss supervision. Each state writes its own laws, and there is variation from state to state. You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, your host, and I have two guests today. Ann Davis, PA and Director of State Government Advocacy and Outreach for the American Academy of Physician Assistants, and Beth Grivett, PA and Legislative Chair for the California Academy of Physician Assistants. Today we are discussing the six key elements of good state law for physician assistant practice and how one state chapter addressed limitations in the law and changed PA practice privileges in their state. Hi Ann and Beth, welcome to ReachMD. Thanks, thank you. So, Anne, we'll start with you. Can you list the six key elements of good state law for physician assistants? Sure. So, the six keys are these. The first is that scope of practice should be determined at the practice site by the supervising physician and the PA and then any applicable facility. The second is that the number of PAs that can be supervised by a single physician should also be determined at the practice. That is, no restriction in the law. The third is that the supervision language should be adequate to allow for flexible deployment of PAs and utilization of PAs by teams and facilities in ways that really fit the clinical situation. The fourth is that there shouldn't be a requirement for chart co-signature in the law. Fifth, supervising physicians should have full authority to delegate prescriptive ability to PAs. And lastly, licensure is the right regulatory term to be used for physician assistance. Well, let's dive into these a little bit more. Let's start with the scope of practice determined at the practice site. Why is this important? Well, Lisa, as you know, and as your listeners know, medical practice is dynamic and it changes rapidly to adapt to new technologies and new ways that people deploy health professionals in the field. So if it requires a trip to the medical board to have something added to a PA's scope of practice, that really diminishes the utility of physicians and PAs working right at delivering patient care. Most states allow the supervising physician to determine what the PA can do, along with the PA and any hospital privileging decisions that are made. But some states require a trip to the medical board to determine what PAs can include in their scope of practice, and that's just cumbersome. Are there many states that are dealing with this issue? Only four still have that archaic language, and those are Alabama, Oregon, Kentucky, and Maryland, and they're working to change that. So the physician and PA ratios, can you explain the history behind them, and why do they need to change? Sure. You know, the profession's now 40 years old, and when the first laws were written, it wasn't quite clear how many PAs a physician could safely supervise. So a lot of state laws initially had two-to-one ratios or four-to-one. And now, of course, we know that there's a wide variety of settings where PAs practice and specialties, too. If you're working in a very high-acuity setting, for example, in an ICU or trauma surgery service, it may be very appropriate for there to be one or two PAs that a physician can supervise. But let's say you're working in a family planning clinic in an inner city or a rural area or a well-child clinic. In those settings, physicians can supervise multiple PAs So now what the more modern laws are saying is that it should be determined at the practice site so that the number of PAs that can be supervised by a single physician should be adaptable to the practice setting and specialty. 
Explain the need for full prescription authority and the scope at the practice level. Sure. As you well know, there are times when a prescription for a Schedule II medication is just absolutely required. If you need to transport someone who's had some trauma, if we're treating kids with ADHD as part of physician teams, if we're taking care of people that have chronic pain or folks at the end of life who need pain relief, then you really need to be able to have full authority to prescribe Schedule II through five medications and non-controlled medicines. Again, the supervising physician and PA team determined this, but the state shouldn't limit it. It should be up to the supervising physician and PA to decide what's best for the patients there. And this goes along with the idea of scope of the practice. Prescriptive authority is part of scope of practice, and full customization really requires that those decisions are made as close to the bedside as possible. There are some states that require a co-signature by law. How should this change? There are times when having the physician co-sign a note is absolutely appropriate and perhaps required. For example, if you have a very complicated patient where you discuss it clearly with the supervising physician and want to document that, then a physician co-signature is great. But we have physician PA teams in primary care that have worked together for 30 years. And it's not a good use of the physician's time or talent to spend time co-signing charts in those kinds of situations. Again, if the facility, physician, PA, think that a chart co-signature is required, that's just fine. But a requirement in law that says to the physician, you have lots of things you could do with your time in here, you have to do this, that's not today's news. That's something that needs to be, again, looked at and customized. So the word supervision is very misunderstood in the PA profession. Could you explain the relationship of supervision and why changing the language is important? Boy, that's such a good point. Supervision means the ability to offer direction and control to someone with whom you work. So when PAs look to a supervising physician, they're looking for learned advice, the ability to accept care of patients with complex problems. That is, as you know, working clinically, there'll be times when you see a patient and you say, well, gosh, this patient really needs the full expertise of the physician. Let's involve him or her right now. But it certainly doesn't mean that the doctor needs to be on site or looking over the shoulder of PAs. PAs practice with delegated autonomy. That is, the physician says, here's the things that we're going to work together and do together. These you handle on your own. Get a hold of me when you need me. I'll be glad to accept care for the patients that require physician care. But lots and lots of care, as you well know, can be delegated safely and effectively to physician assistants. So supervision is the idea that the physician is available to the PA when it's appropriate for the patient care. But it certainly doesn't mean immediate oversight, you know, having to tie yourself down to a lot of dealing with things that the PA should be able to handle on their own. Changing the language is important. Some laws initially required a physician to be on site for a percentage of the time or the PA and physician to meet in person a percentage of the time. Again, there are some situations where the doc and the PA should be shoulder to shoulder, assisting in surgery, for example. But there's other times when supervision should easily be done via telecommunication, and laws are changing to authorize this. And finally, there's one more of the six, which is changing licensure as a regulatory term. How will that help PAs? This is one of those sort of hyper-technical points that you think wouldn't make any difference, but it does. There are just a few states, actually um, six, that don't use licensure yet as their regulatory term. If PAs are referred to as licensed by the state, it does two important things. One is 
it lets patients know that this is a licensed health professional. Secondly, there are lots of laws outside PA and medical laws, medical practice acts, that refer to licensed health professionals. For example, a law may say that licensed health professionals have to report child abuse. Well, certainly we would think that PA should be included in that group, but if the state still uses the archaic term of registration or certification for the PA, that doesn't make it as clear that those laws will apply to physician assistants. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and I have two guests today, Ann Davis, PA and the Director of State Government Advocacy and Outreach for the American Academy of Physician Assistants, and Beth Grivett, PA and Legislative Chair for the California Academy of Physician Assistants. Today, we are discussing the six key elements of good state law for physician assistant practice and how one state chapter addressed limitations in the law and changed PA practice privileges in their state. So, Anne, can you sum up for us why are these six changes needed for the PA profession and how will these changes help the physician PA team? Sure. You know, what we're facing today is a crisis in the number of health professionals that are available to take care of the patients in this country. Also, as we look forward to some health care reform, we're going to want to have physician, PA, nurse, every health professional team ready, willing, and able to deliver health care of very high quality without obstacles in the way that diminish flexibility, diminish effectiveness, diminish efficiency, without providing anything extra. So states are looking at their laws and saying, okay, what's slowing us down? from providing great care to the patients that we need to take care of here in our state. And that's why it's so important that these laws change and that they change now. We've got fabulous numbers that support the effectiveness, efficiency, and high-quality care delivered by physician PA teams. And it's time to make our state laws say, let's recognize that and remove barriers that no longer need to be there. Thank you, Anne. I'm going to move this over to Beth. Beth, there are also many outside PA laws that require change. If you're a PA in family, internal, or occupational medicine, you've certainly come across the form that a (laughs) PA can't sign. And there are many types of these forms, DMVs, school physicals, teachers' physicals, daycare physicals, handicap stickers, taxi drivers, on and on and on. To change these archaic forms, you have to change the law. Beth, your state of California recently removed the restrictions on physician assistants performing and signing off on DMV physicals done by PAs. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was in 2007 with AB 139, and it was kind of interesting because despite your best planning, some of these things just come up because of what we hear from our members. So in the DMV form, all of a sudden, they changed it with bright red letters saying, Only a physician can do the physical, and it was only for certain types of drivers, drivers basically that were driving other people around, so farm labor vehicles and school bus drivers. So it was very interesting, and we didn't know where it came from, and sure enough, it was something that was in law for a long time that somebody at the DMV decided to highlight on the form. So you can see for scheduling reasons and for all kinds of reasons, it was very difficult for the schedulers to put the person on the schedule of the physician and not the PA, and there was mix-ups all the time. So then we realized, why did this come about, and we need to really change it, because we could do a physical on a truck driver just as well as we could do a physical on a school bus driver. So we 
you know, got a team together, got an author, and put forth legislation that was successful in allowing us to now do all physicals for the DMV physicals. Well, when people come across these forms, what should they do? Yeah, that's difficult because sometimes, I mean, it's certainly contacting your state, I think, is the most appropriate. And sometimes it's not going to be the right time right then to do something about it. But mostly getting in touch with the state, if you have an office or the legislative affairs director, the government affairs director in the state, and then the board can kind of determine when's the right time to try to approach it. Sometimes it's legislative and sometimes it doesn't require legislation. It's more highlighting you know, a change in regulation or there could be another approach. You know, I've noticed on some of these forms that they say updated January 09. Is it just that no one ever reviews these forms? They just update it? Or maybe someone is reviewing them and it's not including a healthcare professional. <laughs> We're actually struggling with the same thing this year with a bill that we have, SB 171, where we can't do the physicals for pre-employment for teachers in our state. So it's the same sort of problem that this form has probably been updated a number of times, but it's something that comes from, you know, the school district or the education code that says only a physician can sign off on these forms. Well, PAs need to be more involved at the state and the federal level. It's very important that every voice is heard. So if I'm a PA listening and I want to get more involved, where should I go? Certainly you should start with your state organization. These are state laws we're talking about, and everybody likes to hear. That is, all legislators like to hear from their constituents. This is sometimes a surprise for PAs. They say, well, gosh, do I need to be involved in the political process? I'll tell you, Lisa, working clinically, I'm sure you have seen patients where the most important thing you could do for that patient is to change a law. For example, expending a Medicaid budget or changing laws that deal with child care. So we certainly encourage PAs to get involved with their state chapters. And if your chapter asks you to send an email or make a phone call, write a letter to your legislator, please follow through and do that. And a lot of PAs are finding that they enjoy being involved in the political process. We fully encourage them to contact their state chapter. And if they're not quite sure how to do that, to contact the AAPA. We'll gladly help people get in touch. And we work arm-in-arm with state chapters on just on a day-to-day basis. Beth and I probably talk a couple times a week as we work with our state chapters at the APA. Well, thank you, Anne and Beth, for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm PA Lisa DeAndre Linnell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening.